If you haven't, I would ask you to prepare yourselves to hear not from man, but from God. He's the main character. He's the conductor. He's the teacher. He's the all in all. He speaks to our concerns, our circumstances, our trials. All of life, God speaks to us through his word. And so what I would like to ask for you to do is to be looking to see where in the word of God, where you're supposed to be. See where it is where you can identify with the speaker, with the audience, with how God is dealing with his people. The scripture teaches us in Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So with that being said, please turn with me to Psalm 16 in your copy of God's word. Last time we discussed Psalm 55, and during that time, David was in a crisis. It's already been mentioned he was running from his son Absalom, and he was in a crisis. Psalm 16 is different. He's not lamenting. Instead, he's reassuring himself of the truth. And every now and then, we have to do that. We have times where we, we feel spiritually weak. We feel like we are in, in a spiritual desert. We have to reassure ourselves of the truth of God's word. Christians today still struggle with sin. We fail at times to do all that God has commanded us to do. We forget the many benefits we have uh, being in relationship with God. And so this passage addresses our struggle with a lack of confidence. It helps us with a lack of hope and peace and security in Christ. And so according to the text, the solution to overcoming feelings of insecurity, fear, discontentment, and even being agitated is for us to look to Christ so that we might find everything that we need in him. Christ alone is all we need. We don't need anything else to complete us or give us satisfaction. Jesus Christ is our hope. Jesus is our refuge, our inheritance, our comfort, our joy. And so Psalm 16 is a passage of scripture that reminds us of the presence of God. It reminds us of the power of God and the providence of God and even the pleasures of God. And so be looking, put your spiritual eyeglasses on so that you might look into the word of God. Let us um, read now Psalm 16. Please follow along with me. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. 
The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. The drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let us pray and ask God's help. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we listen to your word, we're gaining confidence. We're reminded of the hope that we have in you. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us at this hour now, Lord, and we pray that you would help us to contemplate the depths of your word. We pray that you would give clarity and understanding that even the little children will be able to grasp the things of God. We pray for salvation, that you would draw the one who may not know you today. They might come to know you personally as Lord and Savior. Lord, have your way today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I have entitled today's message, Jesus, My Reassuring Hope. There are three things you should believe to be reassured of the hope you have in Christ. One, believe that the Lord is your refuge. Two, believe that the Lord is your inheritance and comfort. And three, believe that the Lord is your joy. The purpose of the Psalms is to stir up men and women for warm-hearted devotion for God. The, the Psalms help to kindle the souls of worshipers. Many of the themes found in this book point to a loving God who saves his people and shepherds them so that they might know him as creator, as sustainer, as judge and king of all. The reason David wrote this psalm was to seek the security of God and to reestablish his hope and confidence in the Lord by reminding himself of the blessings and the benefits of having relationship with the Lord. This passage of scripture was necessary 
and divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit because he knew one day we would become weak, discouraged, depressed, and even insecure with ourselves and with life. This psalm is essential for all those who would believe past, present, and future. So let's begin. Let's look at point number one. The Lord is my refuge. What do you do when you feel insecure about life? And some of you may be glad we're not, well, some of you uh, may be glad we're talking about this today, but there are others who already have said to themselves, I, I, don't, I don't have that problem. And I want to push back a little by saying, in truth, everything in all of human life creates some form of insecurity. To be insecure is the same as saying that we lack confidence in something. Our jobs may not be permanent. So therefore, we have insecure employment. We're insecure about our health. Some of us are insecure about the future. We, we all deal with insecurities all the time. In many cases, we're dissatisfied. We struggle sometimes with feelings of emptiness and unfulfillment at both levels. Sometimes at the physical level and sometimes at the spiritual level. But God is preserving you. Do you know why the Lord preserves you? The Lord preserves his people so that they might take refuge in him and do good works for the glory of God. God watches out for us for the whole of our lives. David understood this, and that's why he prayed, preserve me, O Lord. In other words, God is our protector. He protects those who are committed to him through faith. Anyone who submits to God will be divinely cared for and guided. And for that reason, one should have hope because God is faithful. He never fails. And David understood this. Whether in life or death, we had better be under God's divine protection. This is what verse 1 is all about. God is the protector of those who place faith in him through the whole course of their lives. This means that we must rid ourselves of those thoughts of owning anything or having done anything good apart from God. What can we offer God? He has no need of anything, for God owns everything. David recognizes this in verse 2 when he states, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. God has no needs of anything, needs for anything, and that includes us. When, when we accomplish anything, it is solely by God's allowance. What can man offer God that he doesn't already own? 
God is rich. He owns everything. And by his grace, he, his goodness is extended to all. May we be like the psalmist in Psalm 73 when he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire but you. According to verse 3, David was a companion to all who feared God. In other words, he connected to those who were in relationship with God. It was almost like a natural affection for those who were in Christ. It's like there was a spiritual attraction for those who were in God. And so he, 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 he recognizes this. And so David recognized that he had nothing to offer God. Instead, he set his affections upon those whom God loved and whom God cared for. Have you ever looked at people in that way and loved them, not on the basis of who they were, but on the basis of who they were in Christ? See, that's a higher standard that God has called us to, that we, we, we don't love cosmetically, but we, we love God deeply because God has saved them. See, this is what God is calling us to. And so this is something we need to think about. This is This is supposed to be for those who are in Christ. This is supposed to be for the church. We're supposed to love one another in this way. Our love for each other keeps us from being stained by worldly pursuits and evil affections. However, this doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. It means that we are to love like God loves. It means that we are to love sacrificially, love unconditionally. In 1 Peter 2.9, we're reminded who we are in Christ. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. High calling. But as long as we abide in Christ, as John 15 reminds us, we can do all those things that pleases the Lord. In contrast to how we are to love God by loving one another, verse 4 mentioned those who practice false worship and the many sufferings they have to endure. He states in verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. If you think you have problems now, you follow after other gods and your problems will multiply. He says, their drink offerings of blood, I will not. And this is, this is David just saying, I'm committed. 
right? He says, I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Pagan worship eventually leads to many pains and sufferings. Because people are operating outside of the will of God. And every time man stands in opposition against God, he always fails. So here, the hypocrites fall into this category too. David rejects the idea and vows to have nothing to do with any form of idolatry. The Israelites were commanded by God through the prophets not to worship any other God. For example, in Exodus 23, 13, uh, the prophet says, pay attention to all that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Again, Joshua, Joshua 23, 7 states, you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. Idolatry was not tolerated. It could cost you your lives. Instead, people, people were to put away all idols, and they must remember to let the Lord be their refuge. Take refuge in him. Make it personal. Make it personal. The Lord is my refuge. Imagine as you are praying, you're, you're recognizing that God is your refuge, he's your dwelling place, he's your all in all. Personalize it. Point number two, the Lord is my inheritance and comfort. What do you do when you're afraid? How do you deal with your fears? You see, fear can be very dangerous when it's not being controlled. Any form of anxiety or distress that causes a person to be concerned over a threat to his or her future may lead to some dangerous outcomes. However, when Christians have fearful thoughts, they should remind themselves of their inheritance. They have an inheritance in Christ and the comfort that God provides. David reassures himself of these things in verses 5 through 8. Instead of placing the world as his ultimate employment in life, David chooses to remember how weak he is as a sinful man. He understood his condition in the world, but that drove him to the love and favor of God. He knew he was accepted by God. He knew that God was his chief satisfaction. And it was only by the graces and comfort of God. So therefore, David enjoyed the promises of God. When you know who you are, 
you can stand strong and bold. When you know truth, you don't have to explain to anybody. You're able to stand strong in the truth. So David enjoyed the promises of God. He knew his salvation was firmly fixed in the heavens and could not be lost or stolen. He was secure. In other words, his inheritance was was fixed in heaven by God himself. And who's going to take it away from him? Here's the thing. We must remember, we don't go to heaven to simply be in heaven. We go to heaven to spend eternity with God. He is our inheritance and greatest joy. God is enjoyment and the lover of our souls. Christ is our inheritance, and he's our greatest satisfaction, and we look forward to enjoying our great God for all eternity. Are you expecting? Are you looking forward to that day where you will be with him face to face in joy, in comfort? You see, we have to Remind ourselves of the benefits we have. We have to look over the insurance policy. We have to see what's covered. And Christ has us covered. He has us covered. He's the thing we must remember. We don't go to heaven to simply be in heaven. We must remember that Christ is our inheritance. And so when we see the Lord in that way, then we leave this world behind. Then we can say, this is not my home. But as long as I'm attracted to stuff down here, Christ won't be that attracted to me. We have to be willing to let everything go. For the sake of Christ. Then we can say this is not my home. Then we can say I am a pilgrim in a barren land. Until we see Christ as our greatest joy. We will never be disconnected from the cares of this life. This life will always have its tentacles connected to us. Because we're still holding on to something. And so maybe we need to think about what it is we have to let go. What it is we have to let go in order that we might see God more plainly and enjoy him. In in that case, though we may be free, we are still living like slaves of sin when we're tied to this world. And so we need to start having right thoughts about this life that are real and that are not a cliche. Challenge what you do and see if it is at all being done for the glory of God. Though we look forward to being in heaven, Christ is the inheritance 
we look forward to that we might enjoy him. Christ is our cup and greatest portion. Even the most bitter moments in this world cannot take away the sweetness of lasting, a lasting relationship with God and seeing that God is good in all things. Then we can say like Job, the Lord give it, the Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Notice how David confides in God for his security. It's not that David is strong or that he is determined within himself to push through this life and make it on his own strength. No, 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 no. Instead, David remembers the promises of God. He knows that God makes good on all his promises. God is faithful. He knows that. The Lord would never leave him nor forsake him. David is confident that his happiness will not be forfeited by anything in this life. He knows that his joy is not dependent upon what he has and who he has. It is dependent upon relationship with God. You see, when we have relationship with the eternal God, no one can disturb that. Everything may come and go, but relationship with God, he's eternal. And that'll give you confidence that when you lose the job or the husband walks out, the wife walks out, the children walk out or whoever, When you experience terrible loss, you know who's still there? God is. He's still there when you can't get a hold to people on the phone, when you can't call them, when you can't share with people. God is there. And so it's a reminder to us to find our confidence there and to take advantage of the benefits. David knows this. He knows that no one can rob him of that. Many of the Psalms was written by David. He penned a lot of them. What got him to that point where he was able to pen those Psalms? Yes, it was the Holy Spirit, but he knew something. And he hung in there. And he had those scriptures, the word of God close to his heart. And he understood, and he became a man after God's own heart. And so he knows, David knows that no one can pluck him out of the hands of God, and no one can separate him from God's love and eternal mercies. In verse 6, David states, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What David is saying is that life is good. You see, he, he's settling on who God is. Not on the circumstance, but on who God is. And having God, having him is the ultimate pleasure. He is the greatest spiritual euphoria. 
He fills that void of satisfaction, peace, hope, confidence, and rest and love. There's nothing on earth that can be compared to the life and the love of Christ. In this world, there will always be trouble. Death is all around us. Currently in the year of 2020, there are acts of violence. On a regular basis, we're, we're becoming numb to all kinds of wickedness. Reminds me of the report in Scripture of Sodom and Gomorrah. Evil is lurking and crouching at the door. There is no security on earth apart from Christ. Nothing in this world will save you, nor truly satisfy you. You see what's wrong? You, you need to get a life. Your life in order. And I think that's what's happening now. We've been able to step back to see what really matters. We're able to step back and to see what's really valuable. Right? Because God has disturbed some things. He took away some things. He removed comforts so that we can see clearly what our needs are. And so here, nothing in this world will satisfy us. No sinner will enter the kingdom of God. You must put your hope in Christ alone. Only the sinner who is saved by grace shall be able to enter the kingdom of God. Nothing you've done will amount to the perfection that is needed to enter the kingdom of God. God's standard is too high. It's too high for any of us to reach. We're all sinners. Jesus came to save and to be our salvation. He came to make us right with God and to redeem us from sin. He came to make payment for us that we could not make for ourselves. What did he do? He died. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death. That's the payment. We sin, we die. Scripture goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave. No works. It's receiving Christ. Believing in him. And he said, you shall be saved. He makes us righteous through faith. If we believe in him and believe that he died, was buried and rose again from the grave, we would be saved on the basis of our faith in him and his good works for us. If you're here today and you do not have a right relationship with God, don't put it off. Don't put it off. Get your life in order. Look to Jesus. According to verse 7, David realized that his blessings were purely by the grace of God. He knew that he benefited because of his faith. It was his faith that gave him his advantages in God, not works. The works were the results of his faith because of the Holy Spirit's power, David was unable to prevent the light of faith 
from overcoming the darkness of his soul. And he received God. And all must come to that conclusion. Where we want to receive Christ, who is the light of the world. And from that point on, David's faith grew. And he began trusting and depending upon God. In, verse seven, in verses 7 and 8, he states, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Some of your translations might have kidney. Uh, that's speaking to the depths of the conscience. So what he's trying to say is that he's communing with God. God is speaking to him. God is revealing things to him. And you and I know that if it had not been for the grace of God, we also wouldn't have made it. We are like the fool in many ways when we are left to ourselves. David received counsel from God because of his faith in God. The minute we take our spiritual eyes off of Christ, we forsake the opportunities God provides. We must remember that God is also at our right hand and we shall not be shaken. One commentator puts it like this, and I quote, to have the Lord always before our eyes is nothing other than to know and trust confidently that God is merciful to us. He is well pleased with us and presents himself in a friendly manner to us in his word and in the holy sacraments. God will never turn away from us in any affliction. That's the hope we have in Christ. Let the Lord be your inheritance and comfort. Make it personal. The Lord is my inheritance and comfort. And this leads us to our final point. The Lord is my joy. I believe that this last point speaks to our emotional state. How are you doing with managing your emotions? What's going on in, in, in your life? What's troubling you? In other words, what do you do when you're unhappy? What do you do when you're upset? What do you do with that? You see, the scripture reminds us of what we can do. When we know our secure position in Christ, we can enjoy life to the fullest. We can have joy in times when people are expected for us to be angry and sad. Under God's protection, we enjoy the mental clarity and we're able to live in peace and in harmony with God. Because of our relationship, the essential key to living a fruitful and joy-filled life is to have a mindset on God. We just heard it. 
in John 15, abiding in Christ. Otherwise, we become like the world being tossed to and fro because we are unstable without him. Contrary to this belief, the unbeliever that trusts in himself rather than God sets himself up for failure. And if we're not careful, we set ourselves up for failure as well. John Calvin describes it in this way, in short, to rejoice calmly is the lot of no one but of the one who has learned to place his confidence in God, God alone, and to commit his life and safety to his protection. Therefore, when encompassed with innumerable troubles on all sides, let us be persuaded that the only remedy is to direct our eyes towards God. And if we do this, faith will not only pacify our minds, but also replenish them, the fullness of joy. Get that? The fullness of joy. We must be attracted to the things that are of God. Then in verse 10, we see David speak and prophesy about Christ, the coming Savior, whose body will not see decay or corruption. We know that this prophecy has been fulfilled in Christ. David did die. His body did receive corruption. Right. But Christ, yes, he died. He was buried. He rose again from the grave from the grave. No person ever did that. All of the prophets died and their bodies decayed and became corrupt. The Lord died, was buried, rose again from the grave and was seen by many witnesses and is now seated at the right hand of God. You know, the right hand, that's a good position. The right hand is a position of authority. It's a position of protection. And when the king had his man, he was on his right side protecting the king. And guess what? Jesus, our king, is not only our king, but he's our defender. He defends us. He's at our right hand. That's the comfort we have. So the person who places faith in Christ will have fullness of joy. If you want it, you can get it in Christ. It's a matter of faith. David was assured of this fact, and we are too. Christ is the head of the body, his church. We sing in the joy of the Lord. We praise in the joy of the Lord. We serve in the joy of the Lord. God is continually with us. He protects us. He's our greatest good. No one can move us. We stand on the rock and he secures us and his name is Jesus. So let the Lord be your joy. Let the Lord be your joy. Make it personal. The Lord is my joy. In closing, Christ is our only secure hope. 
We're not to get caught up with this world for in, in getting caught in this world. There are many insecurities that we can find ourselves in. But we need to find our position in Christ. We need to find our position in Christ, who is our only secure hope that will save us from sin and the righteous wrath of God so that so that we might live with great confidence in the reassuring hope of Jesus Christ. God provides this hope for those who place faith in his son. And so let us continue. Look to Christ the author and finisher of our faith, in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. Your word is for your people. Do to us all that you know that needs to be done in our hearts and our minds, that we might be a changed people, placing our confidence in you, the rock of our salvation. We ask all these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.